This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains you to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I am Rezula Alikozai. And I'm Barbara Ramirez. Tonight, on this special episode of Generation Justice, we look at youth incarceration and discuss a special report that is looking at this issue from a racial justice lens. We talk with Daniel Lippo, the senior associate of the NEKC Foundation, who discusses their juvenile detention alternative initiative report. This evening, we also bring you important community announcements. Our special selection of music on issues and pain of incarceration and hope of abolition is brought to you by some of our news media justice apprentices. That's right, starting with the song Love is the Answer by Allo Black. This song was chosen by DJ intern Lily Lookout, who says, quote, in the music video, it shows a teenager being kicked out of school and that leading him to being incarcerated. It brings up the point that instead of meeting children with hate and anger, but with love and hope, this story would have had a much different ending. Institutions and prisons are not representative of love, and it's important to look at what aspects of our system actually prioritize love. Casey Foundation is devoted to developing a brighter future for millions of children at risk of poor educational, economic, social, and health outcomes. NEE Casey has invested in New Mexico, and the report we will hear about gives us an idea of how we're doing in our state. This evening, GJ member Pilar Manfredo speaks with Danielle Lippo, a senior associate at the NEE Casey Foundation. Danielle manages one of the foundation's newer juvenile justice initiative and report, leading with race to reimagine youth justice, the JDAI's Deep End Initiative. The focus of looking at incarceration from a race equity lens is done with the goal of protecting and keeping youth of color safe and on track for long-term success. Now, here is DJ intern Pilar Monfiletto and Danielle Lippo. This is Pilar Montaletto with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Danielle Lipo, a senior associate with the Annie Casey Foundation, who manages the foundation's newer juvenile justice initiatives. Danielle, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you so much, Pilar, for having me. It is a pleasure and a privilege to share this space with you today. Please tell me more about yourself. I am a native New Mexican and a recovering attorney. I usually start there. Um, I work at the Annie Casey Foundation where I have the um, great privilege of working with community members and justice system leaders around the country 
um, on an initiative that we call the Deep End Initiative. And the goal, I'll say more about that in a minute, but the goal of the work is to safely and significantly reduce juvenile incarceration, especially for young people of color. First, let's talk about the mission and the work of the Annie Casey Foundation. Thanks for asking that. Everything we do at the Casey Foundation is grounded in research, in evidence, and in some really deeply held values. For example, we believe and we know that all young people are filled with potential, that all young people deserve the opportunity to realize that potential, even when they make mistakes and even when they cause harm. We believe and we know that all young people are better off in families than in institutions. And we believe and we know that all young people can recover from their mistakes, make a health transition to adulthood as long as they have connections to positive adults, activities with the guidance and support and the chance they need to repair harm they may have caused to others. And I'm emphasizing the word all in those comments because unfortunately in this country, young people of color do not have the same opportunities that white youth do. And we see this in um, nearly every aspect of American life. Unfortunately, we live in a world that is deeply infected with structural and institutional racism. In the United States, that racism is, is baked into our history of slavery, colonialism, of Native American genocide and white supremacy. And it shows up in all kinds of ways. People of color are more likely to be arrested, more likely to be prosecuted, more likely to be incarcerated. Justice reform efforts have always been concerned about the deep racial disparities that exist in our systems. But reformers haven't always been explicit about race, not because they didn't care, but because people truly believed that a rising tide would lift all boats. They believed that, um, that the public just wasn't ready, that, that leaders and politicians weren't ready to talk honestly about race. And what we found in this work is that a rising tide doesn't lift all boats. It might if all the boats were the same, but that's just not true in America. Reform efforts that help white girls just won't address the challenges faced by brown and black boys. And when you go into our country's juvenile justice institution, what you see primarily are brown and black faces. I think that that's so true and so important to point out. Um, so you are managing the Juvenile Justice Initiative for the foundation. Will you share more about this initiative? So I don't manage all of the juvenile justice work um, for the foundation. I've, um, I get to manage this, this piece of the pie, which is um, work with uh, 12 communities across the country, um, specifically focusing on changing local decision making and local resource allocation to keep more young people in their communities and out of institutions. Um, will you share the highlights of your report, Leading with Race to Reimagine Youth Justice? Sure. In Leading with Race to Reimagine Youth Justice, 
we describe the really promising work underway in 12 communities across the country that are working to keep young people out of juvenile justice institutions and connected instead to positive supports, opportunities, and resources in their own communities. We really emphasize the focus on young people of color and we, we encourage all jurisdictions to be very explicit about race and ethnicity in their work. Because if we, we believe that if, if race is not made an explicit part of the work, um, that the work will suffer. As, so the highlights of the report basically describe um, the pathway that young people uh, follow from acts of delinquency, which are pretty, pretty much universal for teenagers. It's, it's pretty basic normative adolescent behavior to test boundaries, to break rules. Um, but most young people who engage in delinquent behavior never even get arrested. Um, so that's one of the things that we really focus on with our, with our jurisdictions is recognizing that delinquency is a, is a normal adolescent behavior, but only some young people are criminalized for that behavior. So once an arrest occurs and a case makes its way through the system, um, what we try to lift up is that adult decision makers in justice systems have opportunity after opportunity to make decisions that will steer young people back into communities and surround them with supports and opportunities, still holding them accountable for mistakes, still helping them to grow. But adults have multiple opportunities along the way to steer people away from incarceration and toward community-based opportunities that help them grow. The report also shares some of the results um, from the communities that have engaged in this work. Uh, and we're really, really proud uh, and impressed by the work that we've seen. When the report went to print, we only had national data through 2017. Um, but in the past few weeks, we've gotten even more up-to-date data. So Generation Justice has an exclusive now. Um, you'll, you'll be the first to report this. Um, so we started working with the first group of deep end sites in um, 2013. And by 2018, those jurisdictions had safely reduced the number of African-American youth locked up by up to 78% compared to the year before they started the work. If we look nationally, that drop was only 32%. So all of the sites exceeded the national average, and some of them by quite a bit. We started working with the second group of sites in 2015. Um, and by 2018, only a few years later, they had safely reduced the number of African-American youth locked up by up to 69%. That's compared to a national drop of only 20%. All of this has been accomplished while felony filings have gone down, the number of cases coming into the juvenile justice system has gone down, and the number of community partnerships and supports offered to young people has increased dramatically. Wow. Well, that is such interesting and, and good work on your guys' end. 
So you mentioned the deep end. What is that? That is a great question. And I'm sure you can imagine that we get it quite a bit. The, the deep end, um, so the, the word is sort of a contrast to what people describe as the front end of the system. Juvenile detention is the equivalent, uh, it's basically juvenile jail. So the front end of the system is generally described as what happens to individuals when they have been accused of a crime or an act of delinquency, but um, trial is still pending. So for adults, um, if, if people pending accusations are held, they're held in jail, uh, in the juvenile justice system, they're held in juvenile detention. And that is the front end of the system. The deep end um, is the rest. The deep end is not only what happens to a case as it makes its way through, but really the deep end refers to kind of the equivalent of prison and all of the different names that are used to mean prison in juvenile justice. So we have juvenile correctional facilities, which is pretty obvious what that is. That sounds like a youth prison. It is a youth prison. Um, but then we also have a lot of other names that still describe institutions, but can be misleading because they sound warm and friendly. Things like residential treatment centers, things like wilderness camps, things like reform schools, training schools, where in the end, if you don't actually visit one of these places and see things um, for yourself about how young people are living, it's really important to remember that no matter what the name, these are places where a young person has been deprived of their liberty, removed from their community, separated from their family, and is at much greater risk um, of COVID, of abuse, um, of educational disengagement, um, and a host of other dangers. I had no idea about the different names for these institutions. I think that a lot of people probably have no idea um, that they are the same. So a wilderness camp could be the same as a youth prison. Um, and I thank you for clearing that up because that was just something that I think I had no idea was going on. It's a really, it's an important point um, for all sorts of reasons because of the danger of institutionalization generally, but especially now um, with COVID, we are seeing reports of some of these, um, some of these private placement facilities where kids are still there by court order and they're referred to as residential treatment centers. Um, but for example, there's, there's one a uh, company that has facilities all over the country, it's a for-profit company, has facilities all over the country. In um, one facility in Arizona, I think they had more than 80 girls test positive um, for COVID recently. In another one of that company's facilities in Michigan, um, a child was recently killed uh, in a restraint um, by a youth worker. Um, so it's really important to sort of go beyond the names um, because the dangers, the dangers are very real and children are not remotely protected by 
the softening of the name. Yeah, and, and you would think that being named something like a residential treatment center, you would think, oh, treatment center, they would be right. getting all kinds of treatment that's positive and, you know, that just isn't the case, it sounds like. They may be getting some positive things um, and many of the adults who um, rely on residential treatment centers have um, good intentions, but unfortunately, um, the harms really outweigh the benefits when it comes to institutionalization. There is a ton of research demonstrating uh, that young people do much better and are safer and the communities are safer when treatment is delivered in a community setting rather than in, in an institutional setting. You just heard part one of this very fascinating discussion on juvenile justice and race equity with our guest, Daniel Lepo. To Generation Dusties, broadcasting from KUNM 89.9 FM. We resume our discussion with Danielle Lipo about any e-cases report leading with race to reimagine youth justice. What do you hope the impact of this research will be on in the field of juvenile justice? Well, we hope that uh, jurisdictions who see the report will be inspired to dream bigger. Um, this work began after a long period that saw um, steep reductions in the number of young people behind bars and the number of young people in institutions. And to some extent, the field of juvenile justice had become pretty pleased with itself, sort of patting itself on the back for these like steep reductions in confinement. These communities, just in a few years, demonstrated that it was possible to dramatically and safely reduce confinement even beyond what the, what the field had come to accept, had come to think of as quite low. So we hope that jurisdictions will be inspired to do more. Um, and we hope especially that jurisdictions will focus explicit attention on young people of color, that they will engage with communities of color and families and young people themselves to help design solutions that keep communities safer and that keep young people at home. Thank you. And what is your hope for young people and specifically for youth of color? My hope for young people and particularly for youth of color um, is that they have every opportunity imaginable um, to be safe, to dream, to thrive, to become anything they want to be. Um, in juvenile justice, it is fairly common to measure the effectiveness of a program based on 
how many young people get arrested after participating in that program. And it's such a low bar, you know, like none of us, um, when we think about the young people in our lives, no one thinks like, gosh, I really love my little cousin. I sure hope she doesn't get arrested next year. Like that's not the kind of hope that we have for young people and we should dream much bigger. We should aspire bigger for young people in the juvenile justice system and especially for young people of color who are facing so many more obstacles um, than white youth because of this country's history and the way the cards have been sort of stacked against them. Yeah. Um, speaking of those obstacles, how do race and systemic racism relate to this concept of deep ending? We know that um, engaging in what's called delinquent behavior, breaking rules, testing boundaries, we know that that is essentially a rite of passage for teenagers, that everyone breaks rules, everyone tests boundaries. The reality is that um, for the most part, white youth are allowed to test those boundaries without any encounter with the legal system. And when they do encounter the legal system, um, the system generally goes out of its way to treat them as young people who deserve an opportunity to make mistakes and recover from mistakes. By and large, the system responds in a different way to young people of color. And it does that at multiple points um, in the road from delinquency to incarceration. So for example, we see very different policing practices in communities of color versus white neighborhoods. Um, we see that young people of color in this country are much more likely to attend public schools and that public schools are often policed with, um, talk about pretty names, school resource officers who are essentially just police officers in school. Many of them are incredibly well-meaning but when you're trained as a law enforcement officer and then you're placed in a school setting, the tendency is going to be to respond to behavioral issues with arrest. That's not something um, that most white young people face. So that's one example of how um, systemic racism contributes to this sort of concentration of black and brown faces in our country's justice institutions. And we see similar patterns um, over and over at each decision point. Can you tell us how New Mexico is doing on deep end reform? So Bernalillo County is one of the jurisdictions that we are working with. One of the things that's really exciting about Bernalillo County is um, the strength uh, of the community-based partners in this work. Um, so La Placita Institute, for example, um, is an incredible organization, has played a leading role in Bernalillo's reform efforts. Um, La Placita brings a deep cultural grounding to all of its work. Um, and I think that example, that partnership has been really helpful 
to jurisdictions around the country when they think about like why is culture important in the way that we connect with young people. Um, Bernalillo County has also um, has also been very successful in the way that they listen to young people. Bernalillo has this policy that they use called a stress pass, and the idea is that when a young person is um, put on supervision, generally the order of supervision is going to require the young person to stay at home. Sometimes, as we all know from our teenage years, sometimes home gets hot and you just need a little space. Um, so it was a young person's idea in Bernalillo to create something called a stress pass. That uh, means at the very beginning of supervision, the young person is asked, is there one person that you would run to if you needed temporarily to exit the, the strife of your home? Um, and so that's now a policy in, in Bernalillo County and it came from the idea of a young person. I guess I'm wondering um, what, how you guys, what methods you guys use to do this research just so that we can have it um, crystal clear like you guys I know you guys went into uh, youth prisons um, um, but what else did you guys do? So this report isn't so much a research report as it is a story of the journeys taken by these 12 communities um, but in terms of what we do to help these systems reduce their reliance on confinement. Um, it includes a lot of things. It includes um, getting a, a starting count so that you know where you're starting from. Um, it includes uh, being very explicit that you're gonna prioritize race equity in your work. We also encourage jurisdictions to think about four things as they do the work. We know that policy is important. Policy are sort of written um, guidelines for how systems will make decisions. Second, we know that practice is important. So it's one thing to have a policy written down on paper, but if in practice, nobody's actually following that policy, then everything will fall apart. Third, we also know that programs are important that it's not just about decisions, whether, whether to prosecute or not, whether to incarcerate or not, but it also really deeply matters what alternative resources you provide to young people and how they get connected to community. Which brings me to the fourth point, partnerships. We know that systems cannot do this work alone. We need to work in partnership with community-based organizations in partnership with families, and most importantly, in partnership with young people impacted by the system, because those are the voices that have the greatest knowledge about what young people need to be successful. So those four, focusing on those four things, policy, practice, programs, and partnerships are a really important part of this work. What recommendations does the Annie Casey Foundation make as a result of this research? Well, for one, um, we believe that youth justice policymakers and practitioners must pursue race conscious strategies 
to make measurable differences for re reducing confinement for youth of color. Uh, second, we believe it's incredibly important for jurisdictions that want to undertake this work that those jurisdictions start with an accurate count of where they're beginning. So for example, if you know you're locking up 100 young people every year, but you don't know how many of them are youth of color, it will be very difficult as you move forward to know whether you're making an impact for racial equity. Similarly, if you, if you know that you lock up 20 young people in youth prisons, but you don't keep count of the institutions that come by other names, as you move forward in the work, you won't know whether you're really making progress or whether you're just shifting young people from the kind of institution that is counted to the kind that is not. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Danielle, is there anything else you'd like to add today? Thank you so much for this opportunity. It is really, it's wonderful to participate in something that has young people in the driver's seat. Thank you so much for all that you have talked about today and for all that your foundation does. I think that for a long time, um, putting race into things really scared people, but it's the only way to really fix things and, and answer questions. So thank you so much. And thank you for coming for the interview. It was a pleasure meeting you. And yeah, thank you. You too. Thank you so much. Ms. Lippo, your work is eye-opening and very important to our community because it gives us an insight to the things that are happening inside the juvenile detention centers and the people affected by them. I may not be someone affected, but I still feel the pain of our incarcerated youth. Black and brown kids should not be criminalized for exploring their horizons. Thank you for taking the time to shed some light on the amazing work that you do at the NEKC Casey Foundation. Danielle, as a youth of color, I want to thank you for the important work that you're doing with the NEE Casey Foundation. It is important to me that all youth, specifically youth of color, succeed in their communities and are not criminalized. Thank you so much for fighting for race equity. Our next song is Mass Incarceration by Nilam Singh, chosen by Gigi Apprentice Madhumita Santana. She chose this song because it talks about the issue of mass incarceration of children and youth. Madhumita thinks it's important to bring awareness to this issue of incarcerating the youth. Mass incarceration, death by vaccination. You think the devil's joking until a baby is floating. Told we're the curse of the earth, so they treat us like dirt. But we forgot the hurt, cause we copped a new purse. Mass incarceration, death assassination. You think the devil's joking until a baby is floating. Told we're the curse of the earth, so they treat us like dirt. But we forgot the hurt, cause we copped a new purse. Now, here is the song. Wasteland by The Siege, chosen by Gigi Apprentice Adriana Cordova. Ariana chose this song both because of, quote, its lyrics and unique musical structure. The song was written and released in 2016 
when the Black Lives Matter movement was a centerpiece in media. The lyrics reflect the desire to make change in an oppressive society, as well as painting the beauty in protesting. Ariana writes, I also really love the narrative parts of the song because while they don't directly relate to Black Lives Matter or other related movements, the way it's situated in place between verses makes impactful ties to modern oppression in ways that aren't immediately obvious. Chasing fame, ain't it really changed with the name, but the flow still so unholy. No friends, no need, neither Jolie, nor get me the finger to the police. Mad at me because I actually had some dreams, past bagging up groceries. Nowadays, everybody wanna talk, been a king since I learned how to walk. Get down low, make a phone, pay homage. People got eyes, but they still stay blinded. Welcome to the place where the faith can't find us. The end of the world, and yeah, ain't time, it's born in a while. Please don't mind us, cause when you in the jungle, you can't tame lions. Go, going dumb on the We hope you have enjoyed this hour of community action. We would like to thank our guest, Danielle Lippo, for sharing her great work with our community. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Kateri Zuni and Roberta Rael. And thank you to our interviewer, Pilar Monfiletto, for a wonderful interview. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We are also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlist on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Con Alma Health Foundation. And of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last song of the nights include Antes Que El Mundo Se Acabe by Residente, Prayers by Wake Self, and Treat the Youth Right by Jimmy Cliff. I am Riazola Alikuzai. And I'm Barbara Ramirez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico. Somos solidarios por naturaleza, por eso cuando yo bostezo, tú bostezas, por eso yo te protejo y tú me proteges, por eso compartimos el aire que respiramos desde el mismo eje. Yo sé que el futuro es incierto, pero aunque cierren fronteras, no podrán cerrar el mar abierto. Say grace, back your head. 
prayers are never left on red our languages are different in religions they're similar intentions what if you heard every prayer says some pray for clean water some pray for clean souls and some pray the cuts close and they find a way while a couple's praying for a pregnancy a teen girl is praying cause her cycle's late and i just pray i keep my soul right a soldier prays he makes it home to his own life We invade the country of a father who's just praying that his daughter makes it home from the drone strikes.